You're a podcast listener, and this is a podcast ad. Reach great listeners like yourself with podcast advertising from Lips and Ads. Choose from hundreds of top podcasts offering host endorsements, or run a reproduced ad like this one across thousands of shows to reach your target audience with Lips and Ads. Go to lipsandads.com now. That's L I B S Y N ads.com. It's Wednesday, November 25th at 4 p.m. right after market close here in New York. It's the Real Vision Daily Briefing, and I'm Max Wheatley. I'm joined today by Ed Harrison, our managing editor. But before we talk, I'd like to kick it over to Haley Drasnan for today's stories. Hey, Max. So the markets are doing really well. We saw record highs yesterday. But that doesn't paint the full picture for the U.S. economy. We got a ton of economic data out today before the Thanksgiving holiday. GDP, jobless claims, durables, some housing numbers. What does it mean for the state of the economy? In short, the K-shaped recovery is becoming more pronounced. The Dow hit 30,000 yesterday. It's up more than 60% since mid-March. But there is still this major disconnect between the markets in their current euphoric state and the broader economy with more than 20 million Americans still on unemployment aid. Recovery is slowing, jobless claims are rising, 778,000 new initial jobless claims were filed last week. These numbers were higher than expected and up from 748,000, the revised number from the prior week. It was the second weekly increase in a row and we haven't seen such a consecutive rise since July. An additional 311,000 people applied for pandemic unemployment assistance. That's the supplemental unemployment insurance for gig and self-employed workers. The broader economy continues to recover, but at a slower pace. Orders of durables or long-lasting goods rose 1.3% in October. GDP grew at a 33% annualized rate, better than the 32% estimate. And there's a surge in business and residential investment, along with stronger consumer activity, which helped the economy after its worst ever quarter in Q2. So growth in retail sales is there, but it has cooled in recent months. You know, going into Black Friday and Cyber Monday, we'll see how that plays out. We saw the markets pull back a little today. The S&P 500 and the Dow are down from yesterday's record highs. The Nasdaq is up as stay-at-home stocks are outperforming today, with negative economic news, of course, being the headlines of the day. So equity outperformance is seesawing on a daily basis that we're seeing between high-growth tech stocks and blue-chip staples. The economy still faces a lot of hurdles for the rest of the year especially as states and cities are reinstating curfews. The surge in coronavirus cases is taking a toll, and it could get worse. So, you know, we still have a long way to go, and the pandemic remains a major threat. Anyways, back to you, Max, and happy Thanksgiving to everyone. I hope you all stay well and safe. You're a podcast listener, and this is a podcast ad. Reach great listeners like yourself with podcast advertising from Lips and Ads. Choose from hundreds of top podcasts offering host endorsements or run a reproduced ad like this one across thousands of shows to reach your target audience with Lips and Ads. Go to lipsandads.com now. That's L-I-B-S-Y-N ads.com. Thanks, Haley. 
Well, Ed, it has been far too long since we've gotten to do this on camera. It is one of the many pleasures of mine to get to do this off camera with you at Real Vision, but I think it's about time we've we've sat in these chairs again. Yeah, uh, it's about time you sat in that chair. Now, by the way, let me say that's a, a stunning background that you have there uh, at the Real Vision Studios. I mean, that is looking good. Well, uh, I I kind of set this office as my own, and I, I realized very quickly that uh, I'm, I'm the only one, basically, who comes into the office, and it will probably be a couple decades before I ever deserve an office like this. Uh, so I'm going to use it as much as I can, and fortunate enough to live close that it's, it's not too much of a hassle for me. But, you know, our production team did a good job, set me up. I've got some good lighting, and, uh, and the internet is strong. So that's all you need in, in today's COVID-era production world. Yes. And uh, before we get into the, the actual benefits, let me uh, compliment you on your Ash Bennington-like attire. You know, you got to wear uh, shirts like that if you want to step into the moderator's role. Well, I, I actually had this as my shirt that I wore to picture day back before I was on camera. And I didn't realize that it would become the shirt that I was known for. So I recently pulled that and we got one of me in a jacket. I look a little bit more spiffy, but uh, it's Thanksgiving tomorrow and this feels autumnal to me. So I, I'm wearing it to be festive as much as I would like to emulate Ash Bennington and I will do my best to do so, uh, it, it was really more for the turkeys than it was for Ash. <laughs> <laughs> you know, uh, so Max, what's on your mind today? What's what's uh, what do you want to talk about? Well, I, I read your your credit write downs report, and you are you are certainly uh, Mr. Bear, and you you apologize, but you also uh, say you're not sorry. You're sorry, but you're not sorry. You have a view, and you're sticking to it. Um, and, and you really laid out the five important questions that we have to answer. And, and I would have to agree on what those five important questions are. So I, I want today to go through those individual five points. Uh, some of them are focused on the real economy. Some of them are focused on markets. Um, but it all is tied back to coronavirus and what's happening in rising cases here in the U.S., how we can look to Europe as an example of, of what we might be able to expect. Um, and then as well, how that's going to play out in terms of asset prices. So just, just kicking it off with the first one, the main question that we need to ask is how bad will the pandemic get um, before this wave can be arrested? Um, obviously, it, we we know that the vaccine is coming through and, and there's news that it it's, could be coming relatively soon. But at the same time, cases are rising, deaths are following, and that will have an effect on the real economy. And, and I guess... It, it's going to be a range of outcomes. We we don't know exactly what's going to happen, but there's a potential range and and you have a base case. So what is the range of possible outcomes and what is your base case for what we can expect from this current wave? Yeah, a uh, good way to start it out, you know, and as you're saying that I'm looking uh, for some data that I can uh, go back to to get a sense of, uh, you know, what the numbers look like in individual country, uh, uh, individual states, because I think that those are good bogeys in terms of how bad it could get. It probably won't get that bad uh, before it's arrested. You know, I'm looking at South Dakota and North Dakota in terms of their reported uh, COVID cases and uh, COVID hospitalizations per 100,000 residents uh, as compared to the average. And, you know, the numbers that I'm seeing there are of the ilk of... Uh, you know, 5x of what you might see elsewhere. So it could get uh, that bad. I think if you think about what where the numbers are today, we we yesterday we topped 2,000 deaths. Uh, we had 88,000 hospitalizations. And the growth rates of cases, uh, hospitalizations, and deaths 
uh, were higher today than they had been a week ago, which would suggest that we're still amping up in terms of uh, where things are headed. You add into that the Thanksgiving holiday where lots of people are traveling, it's going to be somewhat of a super spreader event. It, it's likely that we're going to go much higher from here. So 2,000 deaths by the end of the year could reach you to 3,000. Uh, and then the question becomes, what, what do you do uh, with that information from an economic perspective? I think that w if it continues in the direction that it's continuing, and we've already had lockdowns on a localized level here and there, where uh, either uh, people have said uh, they're going to lock everything down, uh, and you can't go out, or they might say that restaurants have to reduce capacity, gyms have to close, and theaters have to close. Those are going to increase in in number across the United States over the next month, and that's going to have a negative impact on the economy. So that's baked into the numbers. That's guaranteed to happen. Uh, the question is, is how much more is it going to happen? I think it will happen a lot more given the numbers that we're we're seeing. Okay, and so you say it's baked in. How much of it is baked in? Are we baking in this this rise that you're seeing, or are we just baking in where we are at the moment? We're baking in the rise. Uh, um, it's Trevor Bedford, uh, a epidemiologist. He says that based on the data that he's seen, uh, there's a 22-day uh, lag between when someone gets infected and, and when they potentially could die. And I think the number he was using was 1.5%, we would think, in terms of the mortality rate. So what's happening right now in terms of the numbers that we've seen yesterday, uh, just forgetting about the super spreader event over Thanksgiving, those numbers won't have any, uh, you know, we won't see the deaths associated with that on average until mid-December. So we're baking in a rise into the, you know, uh, 2,500 range, the average uh, count of 2,000 per, per day by the time we get to mid-December. Well, I guess the effects of that really come down to two, two big things for me, which is the psychological effect it has on consumers and, and thus the economy, and then the effect it has on policy in terms of lockdowns. Uh, you know, a lot of people have talked about it doesn't matter that they're opening restaurants at, you know, 25% capacity here in New York, they're still not even filling that 25% capacity because people don't want to go in regardless of, of whether they've determined that this level is potentially safe. Uh, and so there's a consumer behavior aspect of it. And then there's a policy aspect of it in terms of response with lockdowns. What is more important to you? Do you think these rising cases are going to spur some sort of policy response? Or do you think it will psychologically affect uh, consumers? Yeah, I think that uh, it's an interesting question. It's a conundrum that we're uh, still dealing with. And I look at North Dakota, South Dakota as perfect examples of that. North Dakota in particular, which was leading the numbers in terms of uh, case counts per 100,000, they were basically forced into a mask uh, um, mandate and into uh, reducing their restaurant totals. So at some point, the virus uh, is so pervasive that even the most uh, libertarian of, of governors is, is forced into action. Uh, now, uh, similarly, or just going over the pond and thinking about what's going on over there, interestingly, the PMIs that came out uh, earlier this week, it was the third month in a row that we saw the PMI data in Europe go down. And so they've preceded us into the whole shutdown, rollback, lockdown, whatever you want to call it, scenario. And what it suggests is, is, is that for them, the consumer behavior was preceding 
the lockdowns. We only just got the lockdowns, but for three months, the PMIs were going in the wrong direction. So it, it, I believe that uh, people behave and then the government, in part, uh, after the fact, comes up with a scenario. They react uh, to what's actually already ongoing within the population. So I think that the numbers that we're seeing are large enough now, and they're, they're guaranteed to be even larger. Those are large enough that we're going to see even more uh, uh, consumer pullback than we've seen already. All right. Well, then the, the next place is, is how long is that going to last? Is this something that is going to be stopped by a vaccine? Uh, and potentially, is it even going to be accelerated, at least in the short term, by a vaccine because people's behavior gets more reckless as they feel safer because they know that this is coming or they know somebody who's taken it? Uh, do you think that this is something that is a Q1 story or that that really could continue through the, the first half of 2021? Yeah, with uh, Biden uh, becoming the president, that is a big question, and also his policy response, right? Because I do think that it is a a Q1 story that the numbers will still be acute by that time. They won't be coming down by the time we get to January the 20th, 2021, and then he'll have to make a decision as to what they're going to do from a healthcare perspective, and then from a mitigation, uh, you know, of the economic fallout perspective. So those are two big questions. And so I do b believe that it's not just over the short term. It's going to continue for some time to come until uh, we get some sort of, uh, of uh, arresting of, of the behavior. And part of that's going to be government mandated, unfortunately. Yeah. And, and then I guess from there, it's, it's what is the effect uh, economically, obviously, it, it will probably have a negative effect to have shutdowns and lockdowns. I think we can we can agree on that. But the real question is the degree of the effect. Um, and then from there, where is that more concentrated? Because it, it won't affect every aspect of the economy in in the same way. So you know, how severe will it get in some places? And then we should really start to look at specifically uh, what are the places where it will be the most severe? What are the places that will be maybe less affected? And then Optimistically, what are the sort of stay at home, you know, the next round of stay at home COVID businesses that might actually see a, a boom from mm. sort of lockdown? You know, uh, let me give you some stats here from uh, Europe just to give a sense uh, and from the global economy, give you a sense of where things could head. So in France, where they have a complete lockdown today, uh, the PMI that just came out earlier in the week was at 37, 38. Uh, Germany, which has a less aggressive lockdown, actually still has PMIs that are above 50. So, you know, 50 is the uh, divider between um, ex uh, contraction and acceleration, and they are at above 50. The average PMI uh, reading in the fourth quarter for all of the Eurozone was 40, 47.6, and it was 45.1 in the last reading. That's a six-month low. So that's the whole of Europe is in, in a recession as we speak. The entire world, if you look at the number for the composite, it's 51 something, 51.4, I believe. And as I told you, 50 is the divider. 51.4 is not that much uh, more. So if the United States goes further than it is now, then we're going to have a global recession. So the numbers in Europe in terms of the lockdown give you a sense of where the U.S. can go. Uh, my base case is for a double dip in the United States that we're going to have a recession. And with Europe in recession and uh, the United States in recession, 
the G4 as a whole will be basically in recession. Uh, so that's a global uh, double dip. And uh, that, that's my base case of what's going to happen. Then the question you were asking about, what does that mean for individual companies? It doesn't necessarily mean that uh, terrible things are going to happen to everyone, to every company, every individual. Uh, there's going to be a disparate impact. And so all of the companies that we think of as being uh, fleeced during the, the first lockdowns, they're going to take, uh, take it on the chin. So restaurants, uh, gyms, theaters, uh, airlines, uh, all of those companies there, there's going to be some level of impact. And the ones that are the closest to failure, those are the ones that are going to go over the wall. So there are, there are going to be more bankruptcies as a result. So this is the sort of thing that pushes, pushes companies over the edge. Uh, and, and that's going to happen. And do you think that this time, because it is really the second round of pain for a lot of these companies and, and the industries you mentioned are the same ones that were hit hard really in the first wave, that we might actually see more defaults, more bankruptcies, and and that this wave, although you know it feels like we're, we're more back to normal than we were um, certainly at the start and the, the more epidemic in, in the spring, that, that actually the results... Uh, in terms of outcomes, could be worse for a lot of these businesses. Yeah, I think that uh, because they already went through it, it's sort of like they were buttered up. If you think of it as a uh, uh, prize fighter fight, that you know we already had a, a bunch of rounds. They took a you know a bunch of blows to the head. Um, you know, in the middle rounds, uh, they started to get back on their feet and and they're, and they're ready to go. All they really need is a, a few more uh, hits to the head, and and they're going to be out TKO. So I think there's some companies like that that are, you know, living by a thread. And then the question is, is uh, what can be done to stop that from happening? You know, because a lot of people talk about the Fed. They talk about, uh, you know, stimulus, et cetera. We know for a fact that the Fed is out of bullets in terms of actual um, the, their ability to lower rates. So but they also have these uh, uh, these loans that they're making. Mnuchin has uh, tried to stop that from happening. Uh, that's the Treasury secretary in the U.S. So I think that that's that's a bone of contention in terms of whether that's going to be effective, whether we can strike on that front. Si simultaneously, uh, Mnuchin has uh, hamstrung uh, Yellen and her ability to uh, uh, do something when she becomes secretary of the Treasury going forward. So I think that there's going to be a period of time during which we'll either have political wrangling or nothing's going to get done. And, and so it's during that period of time that's going to be in late December, early January. That's when we're going to see uh, you know, the fireworks in terms of uh, bad outcomes for individual companies. Yeah, and I saw that you know he he took those funds and he I believe he put them into the the Treasury General account, um, which limits the ability to use them for for certain things. But um, there was some language in the CARES Act that said that the money couldn't be moved out for a certain period of time. Is there any chance that this move by Mnuchin could be reversed? Um, and if so, like what is the time frame for that? Yeah, I don't have enough details to be able to say, but I do know that what he's done. Uh, at, on its face makes it uh, incrementally harder for us to get any sort of immediate policy response. Yeah, and, and we were focused on 
uh, businesses specifically in terms of how this this would be affected in the economy. You know, stimulus can take many forms in the in terms of loans to companies as well as the the direct payments to um, to, to individuals like ourselves. You know, what do you think in terms of of stimulus is most important in terms of you know what we're we're seeing right now? Uh, well, in terms of you know what my call, which is that we're gonna have a double dip. The most important thing is uh, consumers because uh, when people are thrown out of work, that's an income shock that uh, causes them to pull back. And then, you know, it has a, a, a concomitant effect on the businesses that they would uh, go to. If, for instance, you were to uh, make people whole or even more than whole as we did the first time around, then you can uh, really have that V-shaped snapback. But to the degree that they're not made whole, uh, uh, businesses shutting down is going to be compounded by uh, individuals not having money anyway. So you're going to not only have the individual businesses that are most affected that are shut down, but you're going to have a more general kind of economic shock because people have less money to spend. You're a podcast listener, and this is a podcast ad. Reach great listeners like yourself with podcast advertising from Lips and Ads. Choose from hundreds of top podcasts offering host endorsements or run a reproduced ad like this one across thousands of shows to reach your target audience with lips and ads. Go to lipsandads.com now. That's L-I-B-S-Y-N ads.com. Yeah. So these big questions that we've been asking, they really have a range of outcomes and then and then obviously your base case. I think this one is really important to define the range of possible outcomes as much as it is to define what you think the base case is. So what is sort of the the big stimulus potential and what is the obviously no stimulus in, in any way is the is the worst possible outcome if if you think that that's what's necessary. But uh, on the far end, what is what is the sort of most positive potential for stimulus that, that we could see? And and what is the speed with which we can see it? Well, you know, Pelosi was talking about $3 billion. Uh, and so Pelosi is not known- Three billion? Three trillion. A billion. Um, we don't talk billions anymore, Ed. Come on. <laughs> uh, and, and, you know, uh, a lot of people think of her as a liberal, but actually she's a supporter of a PAYGO, which means that uh, you if you're going to increase your spending- uh, then you have to increase the the places where that spending is going to be offset to, so that it doesn't increase the deficit. So she's actually somewhat more fiscally conservative than people would give her credit for. Yet she's one of the people who's been saying three trillion, uh, and they passed the bill in May to get three trillion. That never uh, made it through. If uh, the Senate. Uh, goes to uh, the Democrats with Kamala Harris as the tiebreaker, you could see a $3 trillion number. So I think that that number is a good bogey for how high it could go. Uh, and this is even without thinking of the progressives who you know want to do all sorts of things. This is, this is with Joe Biden, with Nancy Pelosi in, in seat. The opposite is all the way to the other side, zero you know, that you don't get any stimulus whatsoever. So I think that we have a, a massive, an absolutely massive uh, differential between outcomes, three trillion on the one side, and potentially, depending upon what the policy response from a Republican Senate is, zero on the other side. 
Yeah, and and you said obviously you think uh, consumers are are the most important uh, benefactors of this potential stimulus, but that might not actually be what comes through. Um, and if they do have to play ball with the Republicans, it it might be uh, more loans and more business focused. What is your you know what is your base case for what it would look like? Is it going to be is it all checks to to consumers or is it all loans? Is it a, a good that, mix? That's too speculative for me because I'm I'm not a policy guy. Uh, in in that sense. But what I would say instead, I'm much more focused on the, the cliffs that are coming up in uh, December as a, a, a litmus test for what's going to happen going forward in, in January 20th. So Donald Trump's still the president, uh, but we have three cliffs that are coming up while he's president. And depending upon what gets done then, it will be sort of a good precedent for understanding what gets done uh, with Biden. Here are the three. December the 11th, uh, we have a potential government shutdown if they don't have a, uh, a, you know, they come together and make legislation for a new budget. So that's the first cliff. Cliff number two is the CARES Act. Uh, pandemic assistance expires for everyone, not just some people, but everyone uh, on December the 26th. So the day after Christmas, if they can't get together, no one gets any pandemic uh, uh, assistance, and that's more than half the people that are now on uh, um, jobless claims. That's and the increased uh, unemployment that you're talking about, the extra- no, it's not the increased unemployment. It's if, let's say that you worked for Uber, uh, you don't have, you know, uh, you worked for DoorDash, whatever it might be that you did, uh, and, you, and you, you wouldn't qualify for normal uh, assistance or- uh, you know, your your normal assistance has run out and there's a period of time when you can have more. It's There's a whole catch-all for uh, pandemic-associated assistance uh, where people who normally wouldn't qualify do qualify for unemployment benefits. Uh, that, that goes away uh, on the 26th. And so then on the 31st, uh, there's the eviction moratorium that goes away as well. So those are three pieces of legislation that could be uh, either re-upped or agreed to in the month of December uh, uh, when we have a lame duck Congress and we have President Trump in office. If nothing happens during that period of time, uh, not only is that bad in terms of the, the, the negativity for the economy, it also gives you a good insight into what to expect uh, once Biden gets into office. Is there any potential that it, that that once Biden gets into office, all of the precedents set uh, on those three deadlines could be tossed out of the window, especially if we see um, a particular outcome in Georgia? Yeah. So, I mean, if, uh, for instance, uh, the, you, you own all three pieces of government, uh, as, as, as the Democrats uh, would do if they won the two Senate seats in Georgia, then you, you can get to the three, $3 trillion that uh, uh, the House passed. So that's a potential outcome. However, if that doesn't happen, then we have the exact same configuration that we have now, except Biden in office instead of Trump. And then those three uh, cliffs become very important as signals to what's doable. Okay. Well, I don't want to move on to, to the markets before we're done with the real economy, but I think it, it's time to move on to what does this mean for markets and asset prices. Uh, clearly, uh, it sounds like that there will be winners and losers of this winter. Um, who are the, are the winners going to be the same people from the last time we had this sort of discussion and the losers are going to be the same people, or is it going to be different? 
Yeah, that is a good question. I would tend to think that the losers, uh, just from a purely economic perspective, are largely uh, the same companies as they were before. The biggest difference in terms of the losses are uh, twofold. One is, is, is that we're closer to the precipice. And the second is we're in a solvency part of the crisis as opposed to the liquidity part of the crisis. So from a uh, a, a spreads perspective, you know, in junk bonds or in corporate uh, bonds, or in terms of equities going down, it may not be as precipitous across the board, but there's going to be a differentiation. There's going to be a shakeout uh, in terms of individual companies that we haven't seen as yet. And I think you know we were talking about this earlier that I spoke to Boaz Weinstein about this, and he was talking about. Uh, what where he sees spreads now. This, this is a, a video that's coming out on Friday. He was saying to me that he's looking at high yield in particular, and there are companies that are clearly uh, shakier in terms of their finances, companies that are clearly going to be affected by uh, this uh, lockdown, this second wave, that are trading at, relatively speaking, the same discount to uh, the same spread to AAA assets or to treasuries as companies that are much better positioned. And so there's an arbitrage there. And that arbitrage can exist for a very long time, but it crystallizes in terms of a dichotomy building when there's a, a, a real economy catalyst like the one that we're coming into today. So his postulation, I believe, is that we're about to see uh, a spread widening, a differentiation in credit quality uh, that we're not seeing already. Whether that leads to a liquidity crisis uh, writ large, I would, you know, I wouldn't bet on that. But I think at a minimum, it leads to you know solvency-like issues uh, that one can benefit from in terms of. Uh, whatever structures that you put together, Boaz is very good at talking about that using CDS in particular. Yeah, well, you know, let's say though you don't have CDS, you don't have an ISDA, and you can't place that same sort of trade that somebody like Boaz Weinstein could do. Um, you know, is there anything that you can do um, from from a retail perspective to try and take advantage of this, or is it really more about playing defense? Yeah, it's about playing defense. I mean, uh, one is to be market neutral and 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 take a look at things that you would do for uh, quoted bonds or uh, ETFs or, or quoted stocks, and and uh, you know go long and short in the same amount for things that are trading uh, in the exact same way relative value wise uh, that he's talking about. But from my understanding, that that's more difficult and it's also slightly more expensive to do. Uh, inequities. Um, you can also take out some insurance, but again, that's also slightly more uh, difficult to do. We have the VIX is trading over 20. Uh, it was uh, for a very long period of time before the March uh, meltdown. It was below, it was in the teens or almost down to 10. It's double the amount. So puts actually are relatively speaking expensive. Uh, so Really, it's uh, I think uh, it's about avoiding mistakes, but more than anything else, it's about the bond side of your portfolio because you can clip coupons all day long through the the cycle. But when the cycle breaks down, uh, that's when uh, you know you you find out who's been uh, swimming naked because 
that's when people will go bankrupt. And we have a lot of covenant light loans that are out there. And so the recovery for those uh, equities and for those bonds is, are going to be less in, in this sort of scenario. So someone who looks like they're doing really well in their portfolio because they've been clipping those coupons, they've been getting that extra return, they, they might need to think about uh, looking to see you know, what's in their portfolio and how sensitive that is to a potential uh, drawdown in, uh, in, in, in their portfolio. Yeah, and now I, I'm not asking you to to be giving away trades. I know that's that's not what you do here on the daily briefing. But you know, Dan Zwern has been on before and talked to you about how he uses equity puts in in combination with getting long credit in a world where we have this sort of setup happening. Is it maybe getting long some of the the best safest credit and at the same time trying to figure out you know who's trading like their investment grade but clearly is not and maybe looking at puts in those. So if we have this event, you you have that long exposure for now um, that that's paying for the puts uh, on on the equity side. Yeah, so I think that it was interesting. Boaz Weinstein was saying that Dan Zwarn is his uh, neighbor in the Chrysler building. Their offices are, are, are near one another. The I think that the, the in the final analysis, the most important thing, uh, you know, we know that Bill Ackman is, is making the same trade now that he did in March. But the difference between what he's doing and what a retail investor could do or what Boaz Weinstein is doing, it has to do with the carry. Because what Bill Ackman is doing, my understanding is it's negative carry. And you know that's difficult to, to deal with over a longer period of time. You want to have a positive carry um, type of outcome. And so uh, you want to be able to structure it in a way that you're making return but you, you're, dimin you're diminishing your return to a certain degree because you're taking out some level of security, uh, whether that be through CDS or whether that be through, you know, uh, getting market neutral with the equity, you know, uh, playing within the capital structure of that individual company that, you know, that all depends on the individual company that you're talking about. But, uh, you know, being negative carry is a lot more difficult to sleep on uh, if it doesn't crystallize. Being positive carry is something that you can keep on a on an ongoing basis, and as long as you're not giving up a huge amount of return on the on that uh, outcome, you can wait all day long. Yep. Um, now we didn't really talk about how this would affect the rotation trade, which is really all of the rage right now. Uh, you know, just putting two and two together, it sounds like this. Uh, economic outlook that you're you're talking about could really put the brakes on this rotation trade that we're seeing. Do you think there is any potential that it could continue through uh, a dark winter? Yeah, you know, I think uh, and Tony Greer is probably a bit much better positioned to talk about this because of the short term time frames. Uh, my general take is is that uh, it may be early to be putting on the rotation into uh, you know a small cap and into value at this particular juncture, given that we have this event coming forward. But people might be able to look through. I mean, literally, next month, companies are going to be administering, actually not just uh, getting out, but people are going to be taking the vaccine for real in, in the month of December. So th it really is right around the corner that we, uh, you know, by the, this time next year, we're not going to be talking about the pandemic in the way that we're talking about it now. It's going to be a much less severe event, I believe. And so 
there is a, a sense that maybe you can look through that. Will the markets have the ability to, in the face of a double dip recession, uh, you know, keep, you know, because of the passive inflow, the money into passive accounts flowing in, look through uh, this negative patch? Uh, that that's to be debated. But uh, growth over value, there is a, a massive differential, and to the degree that uh, we do have these vaccines, it does make sense. At, at least over the medium to long term to make that rotation. I, I just can't say whether or not uh, timing-wise uh, the, the, the long winter that we're going to have alters when you should, should get into that trade. Yeah, and I, I think assuming it plays out how we've discussed it today, there, there's not much doubt that the, there will be an economic winter. But I'm still not certain about whether it will fully make its way into asset prices because you know the, the market is is a forward-looking discounting mechanism except for when it isn't and, and generally when it tends to not be is when there's uncertainty but you know we know that vaccines are coming in December so we have this certainty how how much should how much weight should we place on that like that we have certainty that we didn't have the first time around and so although it could get just as bad or worse from a from a real economy standpoint it it might not have nearly as much of an effect uh in terms of asset prices yeah i think it's a good question that's why i say the difference between liquidity crisis and a uh a solvency crisis uh they have very different dynamics. The liquidity really comes to a bang and all plays out at one time. Uh, here's a great answer to what you were saying. I was thinking to myself, what is, because to a certain degree, it was like unknown unknowns uh, with regard to what happened back then. And now we have uh, known unknowns. We know, uh, we don't know how quickly they're going to get the vaccine together, but we know that they're going to get it together. So it's a known unknown. Uh, and and that's what we're thinking about. But what if, you know, for instance, you heard about the mink farms in Denmark, uh, and that so, you know there's some strain of uh, of uh, the COVID nineteen virus that is not uh, you can't deal with it via the vaccines that have already been implemented because you know the mink farms uh, they spread their 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 seed around too far. Uh, that's an unknown unknown. That to me. That's the equivalent of where we were in March. Just imagine what markets would do if that suddenly happened. If you know, one day we wake up and there's a research paper out that says that you know, 17% of the COVID uh, infections have this particular strain that uh, we have now determined is not uh, vaccinated against. That would be that would be a huge a huge occurrence. Yeah, well, I mean, I think we could we could probably sit here and come up with those potential downsides all day when when there's you know unlimited potential for these things to mutate. Um, but the the last thing really comes down to end of year and seasonality uh, in terms of asset prices for for me. And we're in probably assuming that this continues to the end of December. We're in store for some serious rebalancing. Uh, in portfolios, considering the assets that have rallied over this last month, is there any risk around rebalancing at year end uh, that we could that could put a stall on this rotation trade? 
Yeah, again, you know, I'm not like a short, shorter term guy, so I'm not going to even get into that. As I was saying, I really I, I like it to hear what uh, the likes of uh, Tony has, has to say about that, because uh, I, I'm much more of a, a longer term guy and certainly much more of a bond guy. Uh, I, I really couldn't tell you. OK, well, you've exhausted my questions. I think we've, we've laid out the, the long term potential and the sort of dichotomous key that one needs to go through to think about the outcomes, the potential outcomes from an economic standpoint and, and really what it means for markets. So, Ed, thank you so much. It's been a pleasure. Looking forward to doing it again soon. Hey, have a good turkey day tomorrow. Yes, you as well. Happy Thanksgiving, everyone. You're a podcast listener, and this is a podcast ad. Reach great listeners like yourself with podcast advertising from Lips and Ads. Choose from hundreds of top podcasts offering host endorsements, or run a reproduced ad like this one across thousands of shows to reach your target audience with Lips and Ads. Go to lipsandads.com now. That's L I B S Y N ads.com.